so it was it was scary. I definitely jumped on a jet and most of my friend group, most of my network was in the East Coast. So for me, it was it was frightening at the beginning. And I certainly loved New York. Uh, so I, I got to be honest, at first, I didn't want to move. And I say that my first year in San Francisco, I was sort of in, the, in denial. But for me, it was it was pure career development. Um, I had a good friend at the time that that uh, had started a company. They had just raised their Series A, uh, and they were looking for a sales leader. As part of being a sales trader at Goldman Sachs, a lot of my interaction or, or my development and, and my job was working with clients. And he knew that I was good with clients. He knew that I could, you know, kind of speak to someone anywhere in the world. So he's like, "Hey, why don't you come and, and, and build a sales team for us?" Um, and for me, it was it was almost like getting an MBA. Caution: Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Forbes. And I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are valuable, and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. If you have a passion for sales or simply want to improve your interpersonal communication skills, then you're going to love our guest today. With us, we have Javier Ramirez, who is the founder of Pure SaaS. He has a depth of knowledge in high growth startups in Silicon Valley with a vast experience selling into HR, IT, real estate, and finance. His unique approach of leveraging his personality and uncovering the human element from every conversation is what makes him unique. He spent a chunk of his career on Wall Street as an analyst and sales trader at Goldman Sachs. And more recently, he worked at two hyper-growth companies, Zenefits and WeWork. Javier has led multi-million dollar sales teams and was integral in helping Zenefits grow from zero to $72 million in annual recurring revenue in just three years. Sales is in his DNA, and these experiences have taught him key sales lessons, which very few sales professionals see in their entire career. Javier received his bachelor's degree from Northeastern University with a dual concentration in finance and entrepreneurship, and he's originally from Puerto Rico. I'm really excited to chat with Javier today and dig into his deep background in sales, finance, and uncover what he's working on now, which is a brand new business. Javier, thanks so much for joining us today. Really excited to dig in and welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here as well. Of course, Javier, I love talking with you. You always have so many great pieces of information to share as well as wisdom. And as we kick off, I'm personally interested to really understand what your business is all about. What is Pure SaaS? What do you have going on right now? 
Awesome. Well, first and foremost, thanks for the opportunity again. But what I'm doing today is 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 consulting for companies that are looking to open into new markets or looking to better utilize their sales teams. Um, how I got here was essentially, um, you know, after I left WeWork, a couple of companies would reach out and say, you know, would love to come have you, you know, come in full time, you know, share your, your experience in, in hyper growth environments. And I started, you know, kind of noticing the demand and realized if I go to one company, I can only impact, you know, one company at a time. If I become, let's call it a consulting shop where I can address the same problem throughout multiple companies, I can have a bigger impact. So with that, I've, I've started what's called Quota. And Quota is, is pretty much a, a consulting venture uh, where I work with companies to help them, you know, scale up their sales where a lot of times they're just relying on inbound leads. They're relying on, a, on introductions that they have through their network. So it's, you know, putting an outbound structure in place, uh, diversifying their top of the funnel uh, and getting them to a place where they have a sales structure that, that actually grows and scales with, with their needs. Um, so that way I have a bigger impact and I'm focusing primarily in companies that are in Latin America, Puerto Rico and the Southern United States. So that's, that's what I've been up to the last couple of months. Super exciting. I wish you the best of luck. And I find it quite interesting that you've chosen to focus predominantly on the Latin American region. What inspired that? I know you're personally from Puerto Rico, but is there something specific that motivated you to dwell into that world? That's a good question. And I, and I, I think there's a couple of, of things that motivated me to, to focus on that geography. As you mentioned, I'm from Puerto Rico, so, so obviously the language part is is very influential and in, in working with clients where a lot of times they're a little bit more comfortable you know kind of working in Spanish but also you know my exposure to different hyper growth environments in the states um, is essentially what they want um, and that I can share with them so they can apply those tactics to whether they're selling locally in Latin America or where a lot of times they're trying to break into the United States and typically they do it through Miami which is where I'm based out of. Um, so that, that you know, kind of is certainly something that they want to reproduce and, and, and jump into the U.S. market because obviously the U.S. market for companies in Latin America, depending on the word they're based, can have a lot more uh, breadth than, than, let's call it, you know, their, their local home country. That's great. And it sounds like you're giving back to your roots as well, which I find extremely gratifying. Absolutely, absolutely. You started this business in what's arguably going to be a recession or at least has the telltelling signs of the start of a recession. What I find fascinating is back in 2008, there were so many individual people who started new businesses as well during the last recession and mm -hmm. it's boomed. We've seen that growth continuously in many recessions historically and I wish you the best of luck. I think it's an incredible journey to begin. But you weren't always in the entrepreneurial mindset. You started your career in more of a traditional corporate setting and quite differently from educating people in sales. You actually started out more in the venture capital finance world. Tell us a little bit about that. I started in finance and I was actually an analyst that uh, covering lodging, leisure and sports. 
Um, so I was going through financial statements, you know, doing recommendations. Every time someone was going to issue debt in the capital markets, uh, they would come to to our team to, you know, kind of get their credit rating. Um, so it was a fantastic foundation for a career. Um, it was, you know, a place where you can build structure, but where you can also build a lot of business acumen. Um, and I think that through the sales pivot, you know, that I've laid, later done in my, in my career, um, it has greatly benefited me because I can, you know, kind of think with, with a business hat on and, and, and know what questions to ask, uh, know how to interact with, you know, the C-suite. Um, and, and it was great. I think, you know, I, I highly encourage anyone to, you know, coming out of college, you know, look into finance. Uh, you learn a lot of things on top of the fact, obviously, investing is one of the ones that I picked up through, through my, my years in, in the finance world. But um, finance is, is very structured. Uh, there's, there's one particular way uh, to do things. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I always wanted to leverage my creative brain and, and you know, kind of build things, uh, which is what led me to, to the entrepreneurial slash, uh, let's say, tech sector and, and, and actually relocated me from New York to San Francisco. Let's dig into that a little bit more. You were working in finance. You mentioned that it actually helped you kind of learn personal finance a little bit better. What exactly did you take away from your experience working at Goldman Sachs? It was very rigorous. First of all, the, the work ethic, you know, was, was, uh, probably the best takeaway. I was at the desk at 6am every day and sometimes I left at midnight. So the first thing is, is, you know, the grind, but also understanding the markets. I think that, you know, when, when you look at the markets, there's so much to do. Um, there are so many products that are traded, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Um, in our case, you know, we sp- specifically focus on, on commodities and fixed income. So for me, it was, you know, really learning a product, you know, understanding the need for it and knowing um, how to always hedge yourself. Um, one of the things I'll mention is that my team was derivative sales in Latin America. And a lot of what our strategy was helping companies hedge themselves against risk in the market. And what that means is just simply like an airline, for example, their biggest cost or expense is jet fuel. So, and because jet fuel is publicly traded commodity, it fluctuates and, and impacts their balance sheet. For a CFO, that's, that's a huge nightmare for them to not have predictability onto what their expenses are going to be. So they bought futures contracts or, or try to fix the cost of, of jet fuel uh, through different strategies that would allow them to, to have a little bit more visibility or stability in their balance sheet. Um, that translated into what I took away uh, is always to have a hedge in the market. Um, you know, a lot of people usually buy, let's call it uh, Apple stock because it's a great company and whatnot. But then a recession comes or let's call it, you know, COVID-19 happens, they close all the stores and that stock tanks. If you're not protected or if you're not a hedge, you're probably going to lose a lot of money. Um, so you always have to think about, you know, by directional trades um, and, and, and stop me if I'm getting too technical here. But uh, that's one of the things that, that, you know, I always, you know, kind of think about and, and take away from my trading days at Goldman Sachs. And it's an important lesson for anyone to learn in terms of understanding the markets, learning them. There's a variety of different ways to really grow your knowledge. For you, it was starting off your career in finance. You took away a lot of those learnings. And it's critical, especially in today's world where the average tenure at any company is about 18 months. It's important to indulge in that work, 
learn as much as you can, power through. And if you feel like you've learned as much as you can, that's your escape route. And for you, it sounds like you jumped on a jet and you headed to San Francisco. What was next for you? So it was, it was scary. I definitely jumped on a jet and most of my friend group, most of my network was in the East Coast. So for me, it was, it was frightening at the beginning. And I certainly loved New York. Uh, so I, I got to be honest, at first, I didn't want to move. And I say that my first year in San Francisco, I was sort of in, the, in denial. But for me, it was, it was pure career development. Um, I had a good friend at the time that, that uh, had started a company. They had just raised their Series A. Uh, and they were looking for a sales leader. As part of being a sales trader at Goldman Sachs, a lot of my interaction or, or my development in, in my job was working with clients. And he knew that I was good with clients. He knew that I could, you know, kind of speak to someone anywhere in the world. So he's like, hey, why don't you come and, and, and build a sales team for us? Um, and for me, it was, it was almost like getting an MBA, sincerely, you know, because I showed up. I didn't know a lick about SaaS. And they were selling software uh, to other tech startups in, in the Bay Area. There was a lot of lingo for those of you familiar with, with the SaaS world. Um, so I think that, you know, given that experience, it just allowed me to accelerate my, my learning so much more because I had to figure out everything from outbound to prospecting to setting up a pitch deck through, you know, setting up a good CRM with the right stages and the right processes to accelerating, you know, a sales cycle. So um, that was an incredible experience for me, completely different to what I was doing in the past. Uh, but I fell in love with it because you're creating, you're, you're building something and you know, we were able to, to bring the company in, in about eight months from zero to a million dollars in revenue. Um, and it was, it was very gratifying to go through that process. It sounds like you got a complete crash course into both SaaS sales, the end-to-end process of how to scale a company, which is so invaluable when you start off your career. As you mentioned, there are many careers, whether it be engineering or finance, that require structure and rigor. And sales often is an art, right? There are certain processes within it that we develop. But beyond that, it's really developing your EQ and mustering up those skills. Who did you find to be the most helpful when you made that transition, right? You mentioned there's some inherent fear in traveling out from New York to San Francisco. You're starting in a brand new role in a brand new company. Who are your biggest advocates and supporters there? My family is always my number one supporter. You know, kind of when I make any types of decisions, they were like, you know, do it now. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. So I had that support, even though I was going to be really far from them. Um, that, that, you know, motivated me at a personal level. From a professional level, one of the things that I, that I did when I, when I joined this company, I asked them, is, is there any opportunity to have a mentor to help me through this process, through this transition? And they did put me in touch with a venture capitalist. His name is Bob Spinner. I hope he listens to this at one point. Uh, but he was one of the most influential people on, on, on my introduction to the SaaS world, um, helping me, uh, you know, hearing me out, teaching me the ropes, the lingo, what things to focus on, what things not to focus on. And I'm eternally grateful for, for his uh, mentorship because even after I left that company to, to, to go to Zenefits, I continued in touch with him. I still you know, continue to be in touch with him. And, and I think that that's something I, I always recommend to everyone. Have a mentor that has done it before. 
This gentleman had had a handful of very successful exits in the 90s and early 2000s as a chief revenue officer and as a CEO. So he, he knew what to do and what not to do. And, and I think that, you know, my experience would have been very different had I not had that type of mentorship, you know, starting out. And I'm glad you got to meet Bob Spinner, who works, I believe, at Jackson Square Ventures. Is that right? That's correct. Great. And what's interesting is it sounds like you quite frankly asked for a mentor and there's almost this ambiguous world of mentorship. How do I find a mentor? Do you simply recommend that others potentially reach out to specific people? Do you ask for a mentor? What is that process like to really find people who could coach and teach you throughout life? That's a good question. You know, I, I was lucky enough that, that they had a, a really good network uh, that were able to put me in touch with someone. But, um, you know, as, as I've developed my career, um, I, I always follow and look at people that are in places where I want to get to. Um, so, you know, whether that's chasing them through LinkedIn or, you know, kind of being active with them. Um, one of the, the beautiful things about the San Francisco ecosystem, if that's what I can call it, is that people are willing to help. Um, you know, and, and, and I haven't tried it in New York because I was, of course, in a different industry or anywhere else in the country. But when I was in San Francisco, I, I would see that there was a continuous willingness for people to help. And that's what makes that Silicon Valley what it is and, and what makes people progress. So for anyone in the, in the Bay Area, I think that, you know, seeing or researching people that you want to become, whether that's a CRO, a CEO, um, and, and, you know, reaching out is, is not something that's frowned upon. It's really something that, that the, the environment or the ecosystem, as I called it, uh, allows for. So I would recommend that it, it just is so helpful. Um, you know, a lot of times you're at work, you have a problem, you don't know how to fix it. Um, you know, your boss can only, you know, kind of share or, or, or tell you so much, uh, having that outside source, you know, uh, resource, if you will, is, is instrumental for, for continued growth. In the Bay Area, there is this incredible and eclectic ecosystem where people certainly want to support, help one another. It's all about making the ask. And it's the recommendations that your parents gave to you is just try. You have nothing to lose. Life is so short and we have so many opportunities in front of us. We Mm -hmm. simply have to ask and identify those people to support us. Yeah. And it sounds like as you made that initial introduction to sales, the company grew quickly you quickly moved on to a company called Zenefits. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so it, it was tough because um, I mentioned this, but but my good friend had hired me, you know, kind of to start their sales team. And, and I felt like, you know, the job was accomplished. There were a couple of folks, you know, that were selling. We had uh, 380s, two SDRs, um, and they're, you know, on, on track to continue to, to, to keep growing. Uh, but then uh, Zenefits, which at the time was one of the most successful startups in the Bay Area, uh, reached us out and they asked me to join them to start their, their sales team for paid products. And what paid products mean, meant is a lot of their revenue came from health insurance at the beginning. They sell you software, but you had to switch uh, your broker to become a part of their platform. Um, and the, the medical carrier, let's call it the benefits carrier, uh, would, would actually pay you a premium. So that's how they became really successful by giving away the technology for free. Um, but then they started to diversify their revenue. 
Um, and one of the first products that they developed was a SOC options tool that would allow startups to track their equity through their platform. Um, there weren't a lot of people that could really talk to the CFO with the level of sophistication that someone from finance could. Um, and it was very interesting for me because I was at the crossroads of my finance experience trading options. Um, and of course in my sales experience. So, so it, it made a lot of sense and, you know, I explained it to my friend and he completely understood it. Um, I, I joined Zenefits. I was the only one person doing this at the company. So I had anywhere between 12 and 15 demos a day, uh, consistently for about a year. Um, and then we started adding more products to, to the, you know, to my, let's call it portfolio and the team started growing, uh, and it became, you know, kind of a really successful strategy, uh, by helping diversify the revenue. And sometimes it was a leading sale. Uh, it was easier for us to sell it to, to companies that start using these types of paid products and then switch their broker and, and use the rest of the platform. So uh, Zenefits grew in three years from zero to about $80 million in sales, um, reached a valuation of about $4.5 billion. Um, so that's, you know, for me, the definition of hyper growth. Um, it's a definition of building uh, a plane mid-flight um, and, and learning how to, you know, be on your toes like 100% of the time, 24-7, 365. Um, a lot of people don't get that experience and that just gave me exposure to so much uh, from a growth perspective, you know, things that, that where we had a quota to, to hire uh, X amount of reps on a monthly basis. Um, those things just, you know, kind of make you a lot more experience um, up until the point where, where, you know, kind of I left the company to do something else, but um, it, it, I pay or I owe, I should say, a lot of, of my knowledge to that experience, to being really close to the C-level, um, to decision makers, to working uh, with the entire team. And it was a magnificent company that hired very successful uh, talent uh, in the Bay Area. So uh, it, w it was nothing but, but a great experience. As you mentioned, Zenefits was going through hyper growth mode. It was bringing on incredible people at rapid speeds, which is not easy to do as both you and I had experienced at WeWork. What was that like at Zenefits? What were some of the common traits that you saw people bring into the organization outside of just pure work ethic? It's a great question. I think you started seeing a lot of different profiles. It was an interesting time as well because Finance be, has become like obviously heavily regulated. So in, in the heydays of finance, people would go there for the payouts, for the bonuses, for, you know, kind of the, the, the hyper growth or, you know, the, the fast paced environment. Uh, in the last couple of years, I think that has changed dramatically where a lot of people that are coming out of the, their MBAs coming out of business school are picking tech over finance for multiple reasons including better work-life balance and, and attractive salaries. So uh, we started seeing a lot of MBAs that were coming into Zenefits that had, you know, strategic thinking that, you know, could not just sell, but, you know, kind of think higher level and, and, and be studious about their decisions that were made on a regular basis. So 
that's definitely what make, made the company uh, a pleasure to be at because you were consistently challenged. You know, you were consistently working with people that were super smart uh, and launching a new product that didn't just mean like turn on the switch and start selling. It was more of like a rigorous analysis, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes, which I was you know, kind of used to from my finance day. So for me, it was, it, it was great. And obviously for the company, you know, the, the success and the, the fundraising fo- spoke for themselves at the time. So it sounds like the profile of the people that were brought in were at a higher caliber. There are people with different pedigrees and that's what really strengthened the company. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You start out in New York, you moved to San Francisco, you connected with this beautiful ecosystem in the Bay Area, built a lot of strong relationships, started to amplify your network. I know what was next for you, but tell the audience what you decided to do and how you made that decision. One of the things I did after Zenefits was that I, I, I did some small consulting gigs on the side and I, and I did work a, a short amount of time with Parker, who's the original founder of Zenefits. He started a company called Rippling that's super successful today. Um, and I was our first sales hire. So I helped them build out the sales team. But I knew I wanted to do something different and, and potentially move somewhere else. So through LinkedIn and its beautiful network of r- recruiters and, and efforts, I was uh, reached out from, by WeWork and I decided to come to Miami, which is where I'm based today, to lead the sales efforts in, in the Miami market. Um, and it was a completely different sale. It was you know, real estate more than tech. What was interesting enough is that we were approaching it from, with a tech mentality. Uh, or a SaaS mentality, I should say. And and the reason for that is because SaaS optimizes for quicker sales, for different tactics that allow you to close deals quicker. And it was it was a great experience coming to WeWork because WeWork is real estate. A lot of what we think is uh, in occupancy terms. My first job out of college was, you know, working with companies that were also optimizing for, for maximum occupancy which is lodging and, and, and casinos, right? So I kind of put together all of my experiences in, into one place and, and started, you know, kind of uh, selling into bigger companies. And, and it was an interesting time at WeWork because even though the company was about eight and a half years old, the sales team was pretty young. So you almost had a unique scenario where you had the funding of a later stage company, but the flexibility of an early stage startup still, you know, kind of do processes as, as you understood they would be better. And it worked very well, um, you know, because every market from a real estate standpoint works very different. You can't compare New York City to Miami, for example. And we applied the different rules and, and tactics based off what the Miami market dictated and brought the Miami market to 95% occupancy in, in the first three months of the job. Um, so, so through that, I, I got a lot more responsibility. I started managing Texas as well. Um, then I got uh, Georgia and North Carolina. So the entire Southeast of the United States, from a sales perspective, was reporting to me. Um, then we started going up market where we were was traditionally known to sell the co-working model, but bigger companies started getting interested in the model, um, wanting the flexibility, wanting the coolness of the product. And we, we started doing that. We were, you know, kind of first movers, you know, selling into early adopters and in, in markets in the South um, and had a blast doing it. 
Uh, it was an incredible experience as well with, with about 20 reps reporting directly into me. And that's like the most recent experience, which I'm happy to talk more about. Having met at WeWork, and we both learned this through working together and working across similar markets, and you alluded to this earlier, is that real estate is very complex. It's very unique and market-specific. It's difficult to learn and crack into initially, especially like someone like yourself, as you just mentioned, you went from working in finance to tech, and then you kind of ultimately ended up in real estate. What is that process like to continuously change your mentality, learn something new, learn the acumen, and then shift gears into brand new verticals? I think that's where the business acumen part comes in. Um, I, I, you know, from a professional perspective, given myself the exposure to different businesses, um, different environments uh, have, have always allowed me to, to understand uh, how to do business in a better way. And I think that, you know, ultimately, whether it's real estate, whether it's SaaS, whether it's, you know, finance, you're trying to accomplish something or help someone accomplish something uh, better. Um, so that, that, you know, operating out of that foundation has always allowed me to, to be successful um, in, into, you know, let's say switching gears. But I got to say, like for every single time, there's a ramp up period. You, you always have to, you know, invest your own time into studying, understanding. As I mentioned earlier, for SaaS, there's a particular lingo. So there is for real estate. So, you know, I, I wanted to be able to sit in front of a CFO and, and talk like a real estate guy. I wanted my entire team to do the same thing. So it took, it took time for us to coach up, you know, level up and, and, and brush up our skills. And it's a lot of reading and a lot of investment that, that I've always, you know, kind of found myself uh, doing when, when, when doing these types of switches. And as you mentioned, it's important to have that layer of business acumen and have the fortitude to think through, how do I take the time to learn? What books do I need? Who are my new mentors in this industry? So you started ramping up very quickly at WeWork. You clearly did an incredible job taking on more and more responsibility. You started hiring out more people. What were some of the characteristics that you were looking for in those individuals given that you already had this incredible experience coming from Zenefits that had gone through hypergrowth. Now you're in a position where WeWork is starting its hypergrowth journey, but you have a leg up. So you started hiring people. What were those characteristics that you sought out? I like to focus on two things here. Um, number one is, is, is willingness to learn. Um, and, and that's because you have to come into an environment that, that is going to be new and that you're consistently going to be changing. So, and actually I'll, I'll say three, um, you have to be nimble. Uh, you have to be nimble because in, in hyper growth environments, things constantly change as, as you know. Um, and, and that's, you know, key for someone that wants to be successful in this place uh, or, or in, in any type of hyper growth culture. Um, and, and one of the things that I, you know, certainly try to avoid is, is having someone that, that has been at, at too big of a company. Um, they usually aren't in my personal opinion, the best, um, when it comes to, to a startup, you know, kind of nimble mentality. And what I mean by that is you hire someone from a mega company, let's call it like 50,000 employees that has a marketing team. It has an entire sales operations infrastructure. They probably even have a sales engineer that jumps on the calls with you. 
um, you know, you have to play all those roles when you come to a startup. You are your own sales engineer. You're your own sales expert. Um, you potentially have to build your own pitch deck uh, so you don't have a marketing team. Um, and, and what I've seen is that reps that, that come from bigger environments are used to all these types of things. And when you ask them to do all of these things, they, they fail. So again, to, to repeat it is, is people that have to be willing to learn because it's going to be part of the job uh, and they have to be nimble. Cause I, you, you, you clearly know from our experience at WeWork and, and from every other experience, not just at WeWork, that's hyper growth. Things change often and fast. So you have to be able to, you know, kind of, um, be, be on the roller coaster and, and, and not puke. You're completely right. It's important to be extremely nimble and be able to roll up your sleeves whenever you're at any startup, let alone a hyper growth environment where we are accustomed to having to do things on our own processes are being built out left and right. Sometimes they're not built out in the most optimal way because growth is at the epicenter of everyone's focus. And that's what you had experienced at both Zenefits and WeWork. And if we kind of marry all your experiences together between real estate, tech, finance, you learn this incredible work ethic, this business acumen that has now enabled you to go out and start your own business. And I find that extremely rewarding and fulfilling. And it ties everything we're talking about back together because it afforded you an opportunity to understand how do you communicate holistically and become a CEO of this brand new venture. And you're seeing success through that. So what do you think you can take away specifically across all of those experiences that fold into this new consulting venture? It's probably adaptability. This is going to sound super cliche, but um, you know, change is, is the only constant in life. Um, and, and I like to think about that often. So I, I always try to, you know, study up, learn what's, what's happening, you know, from a tech perspective, um, how can I, you know, build more efficient processes? Um, how can I become more efficient myself and, and how can I stay relevant? Um, in, in our age, obviously there's a lot of talk about AI and, and, you know, what, what can, can or cannot be replaced from a sales perspective. And, and I, and I don't think the, the death of the salesperson is, is, is near. Uh, but I think that, you know, the, the repetitive sales process or the SMB, you know, processes that, that, that people can read online and it's like a small purchase, those are probably going to be automated. But when you're trying to make a big purchase, a multi-million dollar purchase, you're still going to, you know, talk to a rep. You're still going to build a relationship. Um, and speaking of relationships, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've, that I've done throughout my career, whether it's through networking, whether it's through, you know, um, people that I work with, uh, always have a good relationship with them. Um, you know, there's always disagreements and whatnot, but, but you, you have to, you know, never burn your bridges. You never know when you're going to turn back and, and work with somebody uh, that you worked with in the past. Um, so this is more of a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. A lot of people like to, you know, kind of grow super quick, uh, do things their own way. And, and I, I try to think about it as, as a big picture and, I think I've, I've said a bunch of stuff, but, but hopefully the, this resonates into, you know, being strategic about, about your moves and, and always staying relevant. It certainly does. And you're right. The world is consistently changing. That is the only constant. And 
what we've talked about offline and what we focus on is continuously learning and improving because that's the only way we stay in front of the curve and have those opportunities and are able to continuously network. So let's get to know Javier a little bit more because you've had so much success throughout your career. You're launching this new venture and now living in Miami, there's a lot of great opportunities to explore life really start indulging in things outside of pure business. So what are you focusing your time on now? Um, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll try to be brief on this one, but I'm a tropical animal. I, I love being outside. I love the sun. Um, I think that's one of the main reasons why I moved to Miami. Um, ever since I've, I've been here, um, you know, I spent time at the beach. Uh, I'm probably a couple shades darker than when I lived in San Francisco. Um, I, I, I uh, race bikes, uh, recently picked that up, uh, road bikes. So every morning I, I try to put in 20, 30 miles with a group of friends, which has actually turned to be uh, a way to network here in Miami recently, which is, is pretty interesting. And I, I actually started that in the Bay Area, but I recently picked it up after quarantine or through quarantine. Um, and, and golf. Um, golf is a, is a game that also, you know, you, you use it in business. Um, you use it with friends. Uh, you're outside for a couple hours. Uh, it's beautiful weather here always. So I, I spend a lot of time outside, you know, enjoying the weather, which uh, has been challenging for quarantine for sure. Um, and, and as much as I can, I always try to spend time with my family. They're all in Puerto Rico. So every time I get a chance, I get on a two hour flight. Um, I go spend time with them and, uh, see my nieces, my, my parents and, and all that great stuff. So that's, that's really, you know, kind of, um, who I am. I try to stay as active as possible and I, and I try to spend as much time with the family as I can. It's beautiful. And I love that tropical animal. <laughs> I might have to start calling you that, but it certainly <laughs> reflects your personality and the demeanor that you put out to the world. What, For sure. What's great about it is you are so successful when it comes to the business world, yet you still manage to find this delicate balance of spending time with family, investing in yourself, finding new communities to connect with, whether it be through biking or golfing. How do you find the time for it? How does one manage all of that and still be successful? Listen, I try to stay as, as, as organized as possible. I, I leverage Gmail for that a lot, actually. Um, so even if I'm going on a, on, on a bike, bike ride in the morning, I'll put it on my calendar. Um, you know, I, I try to set up time for lunch. Um, and, and that's always, you know, 12 to one, if there's a call that I need to take, then of course I'll scratch lunch, uh, or, or try to eat at my desk or whatnot. But, but I, I really try to stay structured. Um, I have habits, you know, that I, that I do on a daily, daily basis. I wake up, I have a journal. Um, you know, I set the intention for the day. I try to wake up as early as possible. Uh, when I do bike rides, it's usually five 30. Um, and then, you know, as, as I go into my day, uh, I'm, you know, full on on what I'm focusing on. So, um, you compartmentalize, uh, which is a fancy term. A lot of people are using nowadays, but if I'm focused on work, I'm focused on work. If I'm focused on biking, I'm focused on getting better at biking. Um, and then of course the weekends, I, um, I, I try to, you know, kind of get in a golf time here or there. Uh, but it's, you know, staying organized. That's the only way it's possible. Uh, it's the only way you can, you know, kind of deliver for all the clients at one time. Um, and, you know, building out a business is, is a lot of work. 
And there you have it. What hyper successful people do is fundamentally keep themselves organized and balance everything through their calendar and keep them honest or keep themselves honest that way. So as we reach a little bit of the wrap up phase, I'm just going to ask some relatively basic questions. And then what I started doing is actually uh, like a hot seat. So very fun and playful questions, but kind of intended to throw you off a little bit. Cool. So, um, two quick wrap up questions as we come to a unfortunate close to our conversations. I know you started your career off early on in finance. What are you doing today to manage your own personal finances based on everything you've learned? Um, I'm, I'm looking at stocks that are recession proof. Um, I'm looking at hedges, uh, to protect for the downside. Cause I think the market's overvalued. Uh, so one of the, one of the tabs that I always have open is Charles Schwab, which is what I, what I use for trading. Beautiful. And it's good that you're thinking about hedging for the market because these are going to be interesting times. I think it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster over the next 12 to 18 months. So I'm happy to hear you doing that. And lastly, you mentioned networking is incredibly powerful. And I'm sure many of our listeners will resonate with your story as you made so many unique transitions throughout your career and have built up this incredible foundation for yourself. So where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn. That's, that's my, you know, kind of go-to uh, method. I, I think that's what, you know, everyone's using today. Um, for, for any of the listeners, you know, the, the more time you invest in LinkedIn, um, I think I, I've gotten very successful, you know, kind of businesses, relationships through uh, being active on LinkedIn. So uh, the whole social selling thing is, is real. Um, and I, I'm a fan of it. I've been using it quite a lot more. Um, it's actually a channel where you get a lot more business than you get through email in my personal opinion. So, um, LinkedIn, uh, any questions, of course, you know, I'm, I'm always, uh, answering and, and active there. So feel free to ping me with anything that I can help with. Of course, to fully wrap us up, we are going to start the hot seat and Javier, are you ready for it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it, man. All right. I have prepared a few specific questions just for you. So First and foremost, try to describe yourself in just five words. Energetic, happy, uh, trustworthy, um, sometimes too much, and entrepreneurial. Beautiful. A, tr a true tropical animal. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> If you had the opportunity to live only in one city for the next year, where would you go and why? If there's no pandemic, I would move to Barcelona. Any specific reason? What do you love about it? I love the culture. I love the people. I love the food. I love the vibe. It's just, it's also in my bucket list. Uh, hopefully through my business, I can do more business with Spain, but um, I, would, I would definitely do that if I had a choice. Beautiful. It's a great place, great food, great people. And lastly, to really hone in on who you are as a person and your journey throughout your career. Can you share with our listeners, if somebody is interested in moving out of a role every two to three years, how does one really go through explaining that story? 
I mean, it's really finding your passion. It's, it's finding what you're really good at. Um, you know, sometimes people do it for, for multiple reasons. I've, I've always kind of found that I've been doing it as I define my, my career a lot better. And it's, and it's led me here as, you know, to what we talked about earlier. I, I'm, you know, opportunistic when it comes to, you know, taking on the uh, experiences and making the best out of them. Uh, but it's really hard when you don't have a network. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about, like what, everything that I've done, I've always leveraged my network and my relationships to, to get to the right places. So I can't stress how much this is so relevant for, for success in your career and doing deals and, and, and getting to the right places. But, but again, it's, it's to really define, you know, where, where you want to go. And, and it might be, you know, through testing or, or being at different places. Thank you for that. And you're right, because many people often switch their careers, switch verticals, and it's common. However, telling that story is oftentimes the most important component. And you've done that quite well throughout your career. I'm excited to watch your business grow. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Javier, for joining us today. Nothing but a pleasure. Ed. Thank you for the time. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.